Welcome to the midweek edition of Legal AF, where you go to hear the most consequential stories at the intersection of law and politics. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about this week. We're going we're gonna to cover with my co-anchor, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, a former prosecutor, a current amazing person and defense counsel. We're going to talk about a 17-count felony conviction that was obtained by Karen's old office, the Manhattan DA's uh, the Manhattan DA's office against two major subsidiaries of the Trump organization, read Donald Trump's main companies in a Manhattan courtroom. We'll, th- we'll next talk about the new revelations that there are even more classified documents, surprise, surprise, and they've been found in a Trump storage unit in Florida only after Chief Judge Beryl Howell ordered his lawyers to, you got to do better and search more places because I think there's more classified documents out there. And boy, was she right. And doesn't that mean you can't trust Donald Trump or Donald Trump's lawyers on classified document issues at all moving forward? We'll also talk about the New York Attorney General's recent deal to let Ivanka Trump out from underreporting all of her personal finances to the court-ordered financial monitor in the civil fraud case brought against her, her brothers, and, and her father by the New York Attorney General. What's going on there? Why would Ivanka Trump be let out from under this financial reporting requirement when Letitia James is holding all the cards? I have a speculation. Karen does too, and we'll talk about it when we get to that segment. We'll also talk about the Manhattan District Attorney's Office hiring this week of a senior Trump-busting attorney who had worked at a senior level at the Department of Justice and the New York Attorney General's Office, had worked with Alvin Bragg in the past, is back for a new stint at the Manhattan DA's office. He'll be doing a lot of things, but one thing I'm sure he's going to be doing is adding some muscularity and turbocharging to Alvin Bragg's newfound look and newfound desire to see if there's a way to prosecute Donald Trump, whether it's over insurance fraud or it's over the Stormy Daniels affair and election law violations. There's another new sheriff in town working with Alvin Bragg, and we'll talk about him uh, as we round out tonight's uh, podcast. And then finally, for those that think, well, Jack Smith is still over in the Netherlands nursing a broken leg. Um, he's not letting any grass grow under those broken feet. He's, he's just issued his first wave of grand jury subpoenas that are directed at state and local election officials related to the um, f- uh, f- fraudulent electors, slate of electors, the false slate of electors, and interference by Trump himself in vote counting and certification at the state and local government level. That's Jack Smith putting his firm DNA and imprint on this prosecution now that he is the lead prosecutor for all things related to Jan 6th and Donald Trump. Karen, Hi. we did, a, we did an amazing, I want to first pat you on the back because you're indefatigable. I, I spelled it better than I can say it. You're tireless. You're relentless. You stayed on for an hour and a half. We did. We broke the story of the Trump Organization 17-count felony conviction within 15 minutes of hearing it reported. We were on the air with a special edition of Legal AF, which people can go on YouTube and on our podcast platforms and find. You and I scrambled. We put it together. We were on. I mean, I was still sweating from like, you don't even know. I was walking the dog when I said I needed 10 more minutes. Fortunately, the little puppy cooperated with me, did her business in time for me to run back to the house. And then you and I jump right on 
you're given all that insider stuff we're going to talk about today in a little bit of a, of a shorter version about your old office. And then we brought Michael Cohen in, the formal consigliere to Donald Trump who served time in the big house because he was prosecuted. But all of his testimony and all of his cooperation led to Letitia James's New York Attorney General civil suit and what Alvin Bragg is currently going to be looking at with Stormy Daniels. What a show. 300,000 people have already seen it or heard it. It was great. How'd you like that? Did you, did you find that fun? I th it's fun to do the three of us, I think. Uh, it was also fun to be so spontaneous and hop on. And yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It was really great. Yeah, yeah me too. And we brought in uh, on the three of us. I, I, I anchored the beginning with Karen and then I, I dashed off and Ben Mysalis uh, co-founder of Legal Laugh and my anchor on the weekends, co-anchor on the weekends, he came in and kind of we did another another version of the show through Ben's eyes. With Ke But Karen, Karen stayed on the saddle the entire hour and a half having to put up with both of her co-anchors, Michael Popak and Ben Mysalis. But let's wow. not, without further ado, for those that come to the midweek edition to find out everything they need to know to be conversant on all issues, legal and political, let's kick it off with you know, the tremendous, there's no other way to put this, the tremendous victory, prosecutorial victory by the Manhattan DA's office on all 17 felony counts of tax evasion and fraud against two major subsidiaries of the Trump organization, the two entities that they do all their business through, which is Trump payroll, which pays everybody, and, uh, the, and uh, the Trump corporation, which operates all their businesses. And let me turn it over to you, Karen. Enough, enough of me. Let's turn it over to you, the former former lead prosecutor in that office. You know all the people that prosecuted this case. You got all of your opinions, and I want to hear them. Here you go. Tell me about what what you saw in the result, and where do we go from here with Donald Trump? I think it's a clear victory for the Manhattan DA's office, and it shows that the Manhattan DA's office still is the way it's always been under Mr. Morgenthau and then Cy Vance, where they take on big cases without fear or favor. And there is no case that's too big or too important or too complicated for them to handle. So I, I really credit the, the lawyers at the Manhattan DA's office who are just truly extraordinary, especially um, Josh Steinglass, who is the lead prosecutor, and Susan Hoffinger. So they, they were excellent and they, they did most of the trial. There was a whole team involved that were great. And Alvin Bragg for supporting them and for giving them the resources and the um, and just the ability to prosecute this case and try this case. And and the way they tried it, I think really shows how uh, how exceptional they are as lawyers. I mean, they really, they didn't overtry the case. They had one, they had a cooperator who, uh, in the form of um, Alan Weisselberg, who refused to implicate Trump. And they had one other live witness who, Basically, they had to call him uh, as a hostile witness, which means normally you don't get to cross-examine your own witness, but as a hostile witness, you can cross-examine them, and, and they were permitted to do that. And th those were their two witnesses. They also had lots and lots of documents, but on summation, Josh Steinglass uh, really, I think, really tied the organization and the law that applies to the organization to get this conviction across the finish line. What, what they had to show was that not only that the that um, Alan Weisselberg and other top level officials were committing the crimes of tax fraud and scheme to defraud and, and all, all the other 
crimes they were convicted of. There were 17 in total over a period of about 13 years. But they had to show that in some way it benefited the company, that it wasn't just for the sole benefit of the um, of Mr. Weisselberg. So it was clear because obviously when you prosecute a corporation, no one's going to jail. There's no person uh, who you are prosecuting. So how do you prove a case like that? And so the way you prove it is that you prove that a high level person was acting both in his own interest, but also in the company's interest. And and Josh Steinglass, in his summation, he, he used a single piece of paper, uh, one one exhibit to, to show that um, that this was for the benefit of, it was sanctioned at the highest level. Uh, and he had a, a piece of paper from um, that was signed, it was a memo signed by Donald Trump himself, explicitly sanctioning tax fraud on the part of um, one of their executives, Matthew Calamari, uh, saying he received a lower salary. And then Josh Steinglass was able to show through um, through his summation and through all the evidence that they presented on how exactly the company benefited from it. And it's clear it benefited in many levels. Uh, it benefited because it, it they saved a, a lot of money, um, not having to pay payroll tax. They, they saved money by not having to pay salaries. And they also kept their employees happy and loyal. So I think it was really um, well done, well tried, not over tried. And you have to have the confidence to do that, to be a senior attorney. And the jury was only out for 10 hours and they got a sweeping conviction. And I think that uh, I get the impression that Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, felt very confident that things were going to go this way because during while the while the jury had the case he announced that uh, a new uh, a new a new person was joining Matthew Colangelo who was also going to work on the Trump case so or on other Trump investigations. So I think he's, I think Alvin Bragg has has gotten his mojo and his sea legs. You know, it's been almost a year now since he's been DA. He had a little bit of a rocky start, but I think he's off to a good start. And it's very clear that uh, he's very much in the midst of additional investigations into Trump. Let's talk a little bit about what's gonna happen to the Trump organization now that they are convicted. Uh, there were two companies of the Trump organization that were convicted and what's going to happen. It's it's going to be on for sentencing in January of 2013. I think it's the 23rd that it was put over for. And, uh, and I'm sorry, it's January 13th of 2023. Um, that's what it was put over for. And what what's going to happen? He can, they can, they can be sentenced to restitution, which means pay back what they owe. So something to the tune of 1.6 million dollars, which is a widely reported uh, a rounding error for this this company that that makes hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Um, and they can also be fined, I think, $10,000 here or there, depending on the charge. So, so it's not a lot of money. The judge could also uh, impose what's known as a conditional discharge, which means he can the judge can impose reasonable conditions on the on the company. There's already lots of conditions on the company, such as uh, from the civil case that Tish James has, the monitor Barbara Jones that we talked about and you talked about just now. And so there are other conditions that can be imposed. The problem is if the company violates those conditions, there's not a lot that the judge can do. I think they can sink, they can fine the company another. $10,000. So there's not a lot of teeth in this conviction, but I do think it's significant. It's uh, the, the very first 
uh, conviction of, of a Trump organization and of anyone close to Trump or Trump. I know he wasn't convicted himself, but he's, it's getting closer to him. I think this is a reputational harm to him, both in the financial world, in the lending world, and in the political world. And we'll see what the ramifications are. But I think this is just the beginning. Uh, this is not the end of what we're going to see happening when it comes to criminal liability for Donald Trump, his children, and the Trump organization. So let, let me talk about that's that was a great summary and in, in your opinions and, str and strongly held opinions you had that were not favorable to Alvin Bragg earlier, but you giving credit where credit is due. And I agree with you, he's getting his mojo. And, and yes, the timing while the jury was still out to announce he was adding members to his team to go after Donald Trump, among other things, I think was was not um, I'm sure he was getting reports having not been in the courtroom per se, getting reports that things were going increasingly uh, well for the uh, prosecution. Shout out and kudos to the jury where we, we are in an adversarial system that's driven by juries. Juries get it. No matter how complicated financial crime issues are, juries, when they're in the hands, if you will, of a proper prosecutor presentation and believe with credibility the prosecutors, they get it and they can sort through evidence. And they did this in short order. It was less than one hour per count for them to come back. And if you, if you deduct lunch, it probably was about half an hour per count. They were able to sort it through and convict everybody. People during yesterday's podcast commented to us, well, what else can happen to a corporation? Let me just talk about that. Who gets convicted of a crime? Let me talk about that. Corporations don't go to jail, obviously. Um, so you have to do other things towards them. This particular judge is going to be limited to the remedies that Karen outlined, fines and penalties and, and charging, uh, charging amounts and all of that. But for the things that everybody is looking for, which is the death penalty of the corporation to be put out of business, to be severely constrained on future business activities, to have the people that are part of it, the Trump and the Trump family, be lim uh, limited or excluded or banned from being officers and directors of future New York corporations, public or private. That is up to the judge down the hall, down the street, no, down the hall, that is uh, handling the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. And that is Judge Engeron, not Judge Mershon. Judge Engeron, at the end of the day, if the case is proven by Letitia James, the civil fraud case is proven by her, he has things at his disposal like disgorging with, with taking, clawing back hundreds of millions of dollars from the Trump organization, banning the officers and directors, which include all the Trump children and Donald Trump himself, uh, preventing them from conducting business affairs in the state of New York ever again, and basically a death penalty being imposed on the entity. That is in another courtroom. But don't worry, the civil fraud case that Tish James brings is based on a unique set of statutes of the state of New York, which gives tremendous uh, power to the New York Attorney General and by extension the judge handling ongoing fraud to throw the book at fraudsters if it's so proven. So um, everybody's excited and loves the fact that there was a criminal conviction. He'll he, he forevermore will have to report Donald Trump that hit one of his companies that for which he was an owner and an officer was convicted of tax fraud. That that screws him up, rightly so, when he has to fill out applications for licensing, whether it's a gaming license, if he wants to go for another casino or sports betting, any kind of licensing, any kind of regulatory environment where he has to fill out an application 
a bank. He's going to have to list now forevermore that a company for which he was the head was convicted 17 counts of a felony of tax fraud and business record alteration and fraud, which is also terrible. So this will linger with him. doesn't matter what his press release says. It doesn't matter what his media department says. It doesn't matter what he says on Truth Social. This is the reality of what he's going to have to report and disclose forever. Now, we talk about, for a minute, Ivanka Trump. I want to turn to Ivanka Trump for a moment and talk about a deal that looks like it's been cut between Ivanka Trump, who was an officer and director of the Trump Organization during the time these felonies were occurring, during the time they were paying under the table, off the books, if you will, um, Alan Weisselberg and other senior executives, you know, um, luxurious apartment rentals and tuition of their grandchildren and children and car services. While all that was going on, she was at the Trump Organization and, um, you know, and has fingerprints related to that. And let's turn now, as long as we're talking about Trump and things of financial misdealing, about what's going on in Judge Engeron's courtroom. Let me frame it, and then I'll turn it over to you, Karen. Judge Engeron, several weeks ago, imposed, uh, based on a motion for injunction brought by the New York Attorney General, alleging continuing fraud by the Trump Organization, imposed a financial monitor a financial babysitter in the form of former federal judge Barbara Jones. Um, and the requirement is quite extensive and quite um, invasive when it comes to the Trump Organization and Donald Trump and his children, including Ivanka. It required, it requires not only the Trump Organization to turn over all financial records, uh, turn over financial reporting on a moment's notice, on five days notice by the by the monitor, financial monitor, Barbara Jones, without complaint and without any really relief back to the judge. They just have to do it. That includes their own personal financial dealings, bank accounts, transactions, asset transfers, and the like. Um, and Ivanka was part of that. She tried in the courtroom to argue she has her own counsel separate from her father. Her father is represented by Alina Hava, as lead counsel. Hard to believe she's still representing him in something so serious as a civil fraud case um, led by the New York Attorney General's office, but so far she is. The brothers are being represented by one firm, and Ivanka is represented by another lawyer based in Washington, D.C. She shares co-counsel with her brothers, but she's got her own counsel. And apparently since the, the hearing in front of Judge Engeron, they have been trying to argue that Ivanka should not be subject to the financial monitoring by the uh, by the financial monitor, Barbara Jones, because A, she wasn't really involved with any of the financial misdealings and fraud, so they argue, and and B, or two, she uh, left the, the uh, Trump organization in 2017 when she joined her father's administration and never returned and is now just a mom and housewife in Florida and shouldn't be subject to all of these onerous conditions. That fell flat in front of Judge Engeron, but we have new reporting and a new filing by the New York Attorney General's office about a, about a stipulation that Letitia James is willing is willing to accept and submit to the court. And why don't you explain to our listeners and followers, Karen, what the stipulation is, and I'll give you my speculation as to how that came about. 
stipulation says that Ivanka, unlike her brothers and Donald Trump, no longer is going to be subject to this financial monitoring under Barbara Jones, that she's now exempt from this court order that enjoins them all from selling, transferring, or otherwise disposing any of their non-cash assets. The, As you said, the initial order was binding on her, as well as the two sons and his companies and Weisselberg and McConney, the, the two um, people who testified at the Trump org trial. But she retained her own attorney, and now she filed her own appeal, as you just talked about. And, uh, and now everybody joined in removing her from there. I mean, it's clear to me that she's distancing herself from everybody and that she's distancing herself from her brothers, from her father, from the Trump organization. She said she's not going to uh, involve herself in politics anymore if he runs for office again, and well, he is running for office again, that she's not gonna be part of any of his administration, that she's just gonna be there, uh, his daughter, not his advisor anymore. So I'd love to hear what your theory is. I mean, to me, it just felt like she's both distancing herself and, you know, also unlike uh, her brothers who all of their money is wrapped up in their father and in this, and in the Trump organization, Ivanka has her own financial life with her, with her husband and her husband's brother and, and, and the father, I mean, they have their own kind of financial dealings. So maybe that's why she's distancing herself. I, I don't know, but I'd love to hear your theory. Yeah, I mean, my theory is that Letitia James is a rock star. We all agree. She's incredibly smart. She's holding all of the cards. She has everyone who is a defendant in the civil case by the short hairs and by other anatomical parts and can squeeze at any time. Yet she's agreed finally with Ivanka's lawyer to let Ivanka out from financial reporting to the financial monitor. This despite the fact that in response to Ivanka taking the position in the courtroom with Judge Angeron, that she is not responsible for any of the financial wrongdoing that they claim, you know, Atisha's office fired back with, yes, you are. We have your fingerprints on lies told to Deutsche Bank about property values related to the Doral uh, country club, uh, golf course in, in Miami, and the same thing in some properties in Chicago. So you are not blameless. You have blood on your hands and your fingerprints all over some of these financial misdealings. So no, we're not going to let you out. So what changed over the course of three weeks? I don't think it's just because her lawyer is being more reasonable and asked pretty please in a letter and maybe a meeting with with uh, with Letitia. Letitia is hard nosed. She's calloused in a good way uh, for democracy and for justice. And my gut is she extracted something in return. I'm not saying that there's been a flip by Ivanka on her father and she's dropping a dime on her dad, although wouldn't that be great? Um, but I do believe she is going to be the more reasonable of of interactors with the uh, New York Attorney General's office going forward than her other than her brothers have. Remember that Ivanka fought just like her brothers fought not to cooperate and come in for an interview, not to provide documents. She had to be compelled through an appellate process, through a court process, kicking and screaming in her testimony. I think she took the Fifth Amendment less than her brothers, at least reporting suggests that she did, but doesn't mean that she didn't throw up the roadblock of the Fifth Amendment in, re in, re in response to questions that were being asked of her. But, but now my gut, my working theory, 
and I want to hear your opinion, Karen, of course, is that uh, Letitia, there's a quid pro quo. She got something in return. It may only be just be more cooperative with us when we want something, turn it over. Don't make us jump through every hoop. And if so, you know, we'll treat your client a little bit better, a little bit, a little bit more professionally. Um, if you don't make us jump through every hoop possible, you see the writing on the wall. You see where this is going with Judge Engeron. Just be more cooperative with us. I think it's at least that it could be more. And then Letitia said, all right, then I'll then the stipulation becomes the stipulation becomes the result of the deal between Ivanka's lawyer and Letitia James's office. What do you think, Karen? Yeah, it could be that she had some kind of document that she was holding on to or some information that she had. It could also be, I think that's a, an ex, as good a theory as any. I think it could also be uh, that Letitia James is potentially streamlining her case a little bit and showing uh, Barbara Jones, that she's reasonable, that she's not lumping everybody together. I mean, maybe there is some information that she's not as culpable, although she is somewhat culpable, not so much as her brothers and her father. And so she's just making it so that, I mean, because you don't want to overcomplicate things so the case doesn't move forward in time because everyone's fighting every little thing. And if she doesn't have, if, if Letitia James doesn't have concerns over how Ivanka is going to conduct herself financially over this next period of time. I mean, the, the sons, you know, Eric and Don Jr. are still involved in the Trump organization. And the whole point of the monitor is to make sure that anything that is done financially, that they don't just kind of bilk the, the, the corporation of all its assets and secrete them and sell them off and make it so that there's nothing to to ultimately claw back in the disgorgement if they are victorious. So maybe that's why they're doing it because she truly isn't involved anymore. And they're just trying to streamline their investigation so that they can actually get a trial before the next election. So I, yeah, I and if, she, and if she, you're you're right. I like yours too because if she, if you're right, she's not really she doesn't have her hands on the levers of the Trump organization anymore. So she's not going to be initiating asset transfers right. and other things that the uh, attorney general's office is concerned about. And if the brothers initiate it out to her, right, which would be mind-bogglingly stupid, but I've seen the Trumps do a lot of stupid things. Then you'll see it on the monitoring of Don Jr. and Eric, right? You'll see the asset exactly. out. Exactly. And you don't have to worry about, you know, if 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 her lawyer is to be believed, and I'm sure they, he made a proffer or maybe even gave some testimony, at least a limited testimony about the financial dealing. She has no control over the money. Maybe she gets a distribution here and there, but her hands aren't on the levers of the financial process anymore. The way, as you said, Eric Trump running the business, Don Jr. running the business, um, you know, for their dad and their dad running the business, of course. So we'll we'll keep an eye on Ivanka Trump and and what comes out of it and and uh, the streamlining of the case, as Karen so eloquently outlined. Um, and speaking maybe, of maybe, you know, just yeah, one, one more tiny point. Mm -hmm. Maybe the thing she, to your point, that she had to give something to Tish James, maybe what she gave was the agreement that she's no longer going to have anything to do with the Trump organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, because she did add that sentence yeah. in that said, you know, going forward, I'm going to focus on my children and not 
with my father, you know, so <laughs> spend that more was, time with my family, not I know, no longer exactly. fraud, for, forging and fraudulently doing documents. Know, but that's what everybody, you know, right. when, when they <laughs> resign in disgrace, you know, every time, um, every time I hear that, I know a sex scandal is going to be not, not know, for Ivanka, so but every time that's I hear funny. a college, a college coach talk about spending more time with his family, I figure there's a, there's a sex scandal coming, coming down that the pipeline. Or a news, a news anchor or somebody <laughs> or a governor. <laughs> right. Right. So, look, we're going to follow it really closely. Um, uh, and all things Trump, we're going to talk next about uh, the new classified documents that were discovered. But before we get to Donald Trump continuing to secrete documents, let's talk about one of our favorite sponsors, one that's near and dear to at least our feet uh, and other and other body parts, which is Bombus. And I know you love this one. Gifting is hard. We're now, boy, are we in the holiday season right now. Um, everywhere I go, holiday music is playing around the clock. Bombas makes it easy for gifting with socks and underwear and T-shirts that feel good and do good. They feel good because they are thoughtfully designed with the softest materials and they do good because for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone in need. Karen, Bombas, what do you think about Bombas? Bombas? I'm a huge Bombas fan. I have been a Bombas <laughs> fan for many, many years. I actually didn't understand that you could have a sock that is so much different than all other socks, but it really is that much better. They all socks are not created equal? They really aren't. And <laughs> I'm telling you, these socks are truly better than all other socks. So they do make a perfect gift. I was actually online uh, yesterday looking for socks for everyone on my list because even your pickiest friends and relatives, they will love them because they are exceptionally soft and comfortable. And it makes you feel good because you're giving back to those in need with every single purchase. Bomba's socks, underwear, t-shirts, and slippers are cozy upgrades to everyday basics and the perfect gift for everyone on your list, including yourself. I've actually tried the underwear and t-shirts as well and love them too. Uh, Bombas uses materials like premium Pima cotton and ultra soft, never itchy merino wool in their socks and t-shirts and fuzzy Sherpa linings in their slippers. Bombas holiday collection puts a modern twist on traditional festive colors and designs. Think rich purples and greens, geometric snowflakes designs, sweater inspired textures and retro ski patterns. With family sets, you can match with your family and friends in exceptional comfort and style. Hello, frameable holiday group photo. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing, clothing items in a homeless shelter? That's why Bombas donates one item for every item you buy. So far, Bombas has donated over 75 million items of clothing. 75 million. That's amazing. And that's a whole lot of comfort and a whole lot of good. Give the good this holiday season. With Bombas, go to Bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash, what else? Legal A-F, L-E-G-A-L-A-F, and use code Legal A-F for 20% off your first purchase. That's Bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash, Legal A-F, code Legal A-F for 20% off, Bomba.com slash Legal A-F and the code is legal AF. We love Bombas. And thank you for being a sponsor, especially around the holiday season and helping homeless people with your business model and your program. Let's talk about uh, this should come as no surprise to anybody that's a listener and follower of legal AF. Donald Trump 
lied about turning over all his classified documents, even at this late date, even as late as Wednesday morning, when his spokespeople said, no, we turned everything over. That turned out to be a lie. And now we have reporting that at least two more classified documents have been found, not at Mar-a-Lago, but at one of the other many storage facilities, desk drawers, closets, storage units that Donald Trump owns around the country that have been searched. Why is that still going on? Everybody's been so focused on Mar-a-Lago and the search warrant execution and Judge Cannon and and uh, the now defunct and put out of business Ray Deary, a special master, that we forget that there's still a search, there's still a subpoena, a subpoena issued by a grand jury that's supervised by Chief Judge Beryl Howell in D.C., who's responsible for all things related to document turnover, not just at Mar-a-Lago, but at every place that Donald Trump, Trump touches, right? Everywhere that he can see that is within his purview, she's responsible to make sure that he abides by the law and the subpoena and turns over all documents. And there's been hearings in her courtroom, and they are secret hearings because she is supervising a grand jury that until they're done with their work is under a, uh, is under a, a secretive blanket, if you will. But the reporting is that she roasted the lawyers for Donald Trump and said, I don't believe you. You're not searching in the right places. You're not searching hard enough. And if you're going to attest to me that everything has been searched, you better be sure about it. Are you really sure that every place has been searched? Because if they they have to, they're on the horns of a dilemma or the sword is over their necks because they know that the Department of Justice has cooperating witnesses that have told them that there are documents located in other places other than Mar-a-Lago. Think Trump Tower, where he lives in Manhattan on Fifth Avenue. Think uh, the Doral Country Club, where he goes. Think Bedminster in New Jersey, where he goes. Think other properties around the country where he goes. And something we hadn't even thought of but came to light uh, recently by the Washington Post, because they because where the two documents have now been found based on Judge Howell's instructions to go back to the drawing board and search all those locations, we forgot ex-presidents are given a budget and are given rented office space, maybe at Mar-a-Lago, maybe somewhere else, by the GSA, the government entity that's responsible for all these things, the General Services Administration. They're given a staff right? They're given a budget. Everybody has one. Clinton has one. Carter has one. All the live former presidents have an office that we, we, the taxpayers, are paying for, including Secret Service coverage. And one of the one of the things that Trump got as part of his office setup was a storage unit run by the GSA in West Palm Beach, Florida, near Mar-a-Lago. Okay, that'd be a good place to search for classified documents. And lo and behold, after Judge Beryl Howell ordered them to go search there, they found two classified documents. Now, this is where I this is where I turn it over to Karen. You're Beryl Howell. You're the judge. You get to do. You're the judge of the world. You get to make. You now have uh, reporting directly back to you by the defense, by Trump's lawyers, that you were right, Judge. We looked. We used our own investigator, our own search company that we paid for. And yes, you were right. We found in one location two documents. You take them at their word or what do you do next if you're Beryl Howell and moving this forward? Well, so let me just back up a little bit on something that you said. So first of all, when 
you obviously the president of the United States, no matter who it is, but in this case, Donald Trump had a staff when he was at the White House. And so you don't just have papers flying around. Everything is very highly regulated. Everybody, if, if classified documents are coming into his possession, people know that this document went from point A to point B, there's a record of it, and they know if it doesn't come back. So so it's not like they're guessing. It's not like they're saying we don't believe you necessarily that you have these documents. But it's not just that he has, they, they know that not only that he has classified documents, but they also know that he has other presidential records that belong to us, that belong to the National Archives. And again, it's because they know, for example, when Kim Jong-un handed him a card you know, that was given to him, they know whether or not they have that. And so that was one of the things that was widely reported that the National Archives says, said they didn't have. So there's lots of things that the Nash, both in combination with the National Archives, as well as the intelligence agencies who know where are these copies of these classified documents that were given to Donald Trump in the White House, we don't have them, they were never given back. So there is a list somewhere of what the missing documents are. And Therefore, when when the DOJ goes into Beryl Howell and says there are missing documents, they know that there are missing documents. They're not guessing. So depending on whether there are still missing documents and whether these two are the last two on their list or there's others, I think will depend on what Beryl Howell does. If the DOJ says, no, there's these other 10 documents that we know are missing these ones are classified you know these are nuclear codes or nuclear secrets or whatever you know super top secret you know whatever records i think that beryl howell will say look you know go back and look some more uh interestingly trump hired uh, an outside group to look for these documents and to help do this, conduct this search. And that was at the request of one of his lawyers, Christopher Kais. And he's the one who suggested that they hire an out, outside firm. There's been some reporting that some of the other lawyers like Boris Epstein and others uh, didn't like this. And this is why we, one of the things we talked about in one of our previous episodes was that Kais had been marginalized a little bit. They had some disagreement. But if I were Chris Kais, I would want to do this too and have an outside group help look for these documents because I don't want to be held in contempt that I'm attesting that I searched, looked for something. And meanwhile, for all I know, Trump lied to me that there's some other secret storage facility or some other drawer or some other closet that I didn't search because he's not very forthcoming and he's obviously not very reliable. So I do think it was smart for them to do that. And that way, at least they have some uh, some kind of some deniability with the judge when it's going to turn out that there will obviously be more things that are found because they're still clearly finding them. On the flip side, Trump's going to say, see, I, I just didn't know they were there. I, I didn't, you think I packed my own boxes? I didn't pack my own boxes. Somebody else did. They stuck these boxes in this storage facility. I wasn't hiding anything. And as soon as you searched and you found them, there they were. And I paid for this outside group to search. So he's going to use this to show he's, he's co fully cooperative. He didn't know. And this was an accident. And so that's, I think, what his defense is going to be. One other thing I just want to point out is for, for people who are wondering if the Department of Justice knows there are missing documents, and, and they clearly have probable cause to suggest that the, there are still, or at least up until yesterday, when they uh, that they found these, these two other classified documents, uh, they had 
if there's probable cause to, to say that there are more missing documents, why didn't they just execute another search warrant or other search warrants like they did in Mar-a-Lago in August? And one thing people have to know is it's not enough just to have probable cause. They also have to have probable cause that it's at a particular location and that that's fresh or new information. So because they did not have fresh information or new information to suggest that, for example, these documents could be at, at Bedminster or at this, this um, storage facility or Trump Tower in New York. That, led, that leads me to believe that, um, that something you've said all along and, and even said earlier in this podcast, that they clearly have someone cooperating with them who told them the records were at Mar-a-Lago. And that's why they were able to do a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago to go and get those documents. But I think that the DOJ still knows there are missing documents and that's why they're going to the court and saying, order him to search more and turn these over because we don't know which one of his places they are and we don't have enough fresh probable cause to go search those locations. But we know this stuff is missing, make him turn it over. Yeah. Two two observations on that. I think there's really two categories of documents. I think there's one clearly is the one that you said, which is that the um, National Archives has a handle on a subset of documents that must exist that were cataloged because when they negotiated with them for the return, remember, we've already reported that Donald Trump ever the deal maker, even when it puts him in criminal harm's way, tried to make a deal with, OK, I'll give you the North Korea documents that you know exist in return, you give me all the Russia investigation Hillary things, as if as if this was some sort of Lebanese bazaar where he could just make a trade for, you know, and, and a, <laughs> it's just totally crazy. Even saying it out loud, I have trouble wrapping my mind around it, my tongue around it. So there's those documents, the ones that they know about. But there are documents because of sloppy, sloppy uh, record keeping and a complete flouting of the rules and regulations that they don't know about and that Donald Trump took with him. And now the government is trying to get their hands on. You know, there's not like an inf there should be, but there's not like an inventory. I'm sure if you went to every agency and said, what classified documents did you give Donald Trump? And then they somehow, I guess they'd be able to generate some sort of list. These are the 5,000 things we gave Donald Trump during his presidency. Okay, now let's check it against the other list to see if it was in the boxes. I'm not sure that's going to work here. Donald Trump, look, there's been reporting that Mark Meadows used to burn documents in his fireplace in the West Wing. So there's a, there's another category of documents that the National Archives has no idea what exists and what doesn't exist. Yes, there's the parts that they know. But the government, DOJ, does have cooperating witnesses that have said, um, you know that little folder that uh, Christina Bob gave you that was taped and said this is the complete universe, one inch thick of all the classified documents? Yeah, that's not all the classified documents, not even at Mar-a-Lago, let alone all the other places. If I'm Beryl Howell, the chief judge, I want to get to the bottom of some of the reporting, but I want it out in evidence in front of me, which is what happened with Boris Epstein, the consigliere for Donald Trump and his attempts to withhold the documents and not do a proper search of these locations. I want to hear from Chris Keis about what Chris Keis is as an officer of the court, what efforts he made to do a proper intelligence search, not just of Mar-a-Lago, but of every place that his client 
um, touched, every place that he owned, every place where he could have hidden documents. And I want a full reporting. And if I don't like the answers that I'm getting, I'm going to I'm going to install my own potential special master on this issue. I'll just do my own evidentiary hearing. I don't think Trump and his lawyers can be trusted any longer with giving a full and accurate report to a federal judge. And if I'm that federal judge, the next step I have is, you know what, I don't like the reporting in the paper. Why doesn't everybody come into my chambers or into my courtroom and let's talk about what happened? I want a full list of every storage unit, every desk drawer, every every broom closet that Donald Trump could have touched over the last you know period of time. And I want a diligent, I want an affidavit from from whomever how that was searched, where that was searched, and what was located. And if I don't like the answers, ladies and gentlemen, in my courtroom, then I'm going to install my own independent search team, a private company that's going to report not to the Trump lawyers, which is what's happened now, and let that get filtered back to me. I'm going to have them report directly to me as a sitting federal judge. That's what I think happens here. I don't think this is just oops, like Donald Trump says. See, I didn't pack my own boxes. There was more stuff in there. No, I think Beryl Howell is going to be quite annoyed by the results here and the reporting here. And is going to, and is not going to trust them with process any longer. And is going to impose her own process to ensure that the grand jury's uh, subpoenas are being respected. We're going to have to watch and see. This is the beginning. This is the tip of the iceberg on this new reporting from the Washington Post about the... Um, about the finding of these new documents and what it means, I think now, not not search warrant execution around the country, but diligent search by an independent entity that reports to Beryl Howell is going to happen off of this moving forward. Just one, just one more thing sure. I, I want to say about this. When it comes to classified records or classified documents, especially the super top secret ones, there there is, in a normal administration, I, don't, I have no idea how he, they did things, People, they know exactly how many copies there are, where they are kept, who takes it out. They check to make sure that the, only the right people who have it can see it and whether it comes back. So there should be a record somewhere <laughs> of what documents. I, look, I know you probably think I'm naive that Donald Trump, I, I know I, I can that's tell you. That's the way like, it should work. That's the way it should work. I know that he didn't do it that way, but we, that's, we, that's appalling if he didn't do it that way. That's remember we, we, and appalling. We had my law partner, Nick Rostow, former general counsel for the National Security Agency um, and White House counsel who testified at oh, testified, sorry, who, who spoke to us at length. Sounded like testimony about how classified documents are supposed to be um, are supposed to be handled exactly the way you just laid out which is no different than your local elementary school library with a check-in and check-out system. It's true. Okay, every librarian knows, you know, who took out Mother Goose today. And who, so who's, who's, who still has it in their backpack? Boy, right. I, I, miss go I miss going to the children's section of the library when I was a child. Anyhow, <laughs> speaking of masterpieces, I love when I segue into our sponsors. Let's, let's talk about Masterworks. They've been a sponsor on our show before. And reporting is calling it the hidden half. It's a bombshell report. It shows that institutions like Goldman Sachs are investing billions of dollars, up to half of their total assets in alternative investments, things outside the stock market like contemporary art, the same kind that you see on the walls of museums. This art as a investment item has outpaced even the standard and poor S&P 500 by 131% over the last 26 years. That's quite a track record. But here's the real story. An award-winning startup called 
Masterworks, our sponsor, allows you to invest in this art from legends like Picasso and Banksy for a fraction of what institutions pay. <clears throat> but the best part, the really incredible part, Karen, are you listening? I'm listening. I'm excited. I am too. When Masterworks sells a painting, you get a potential return. When I talked about Masterworks about a year ago, we talked about some of their great success stories. Like in early December, Masterworks sold a piece of art and for a 13.9% net return to their investors. Net return to their investors. Three sales before that, they handed back 17, 21, and 33% net returns all this, this half alone of the year. You're hearing that right, 33% net returns even in 2022. As a result, demand for Masterworks has increased and there's even a wait list. But, but you know, we've negotiated a way to get off that wait list here at Legal AF. You can skip it by going to masterworks.art slash, what else? Legal AF, that's Masterworks, M-A-S-T-E-R-W-O-R-K-S dot art. A-R-T slash legal A-F. Now there's important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.com backslash C-D. That's Charlie David. Masterworks.art slash legal A-F is the place to go to cut the line and be able to make these great investments. I like that. I like that sponsor. Well, Let's Mike, move is this on. The first time, is this the first time we've had two sponsors midweek? It might may be. be. But but the first of many, because I, I know, because I've gotten the update on next week. That's and exciting. The, Look at us. Yeah. We've yeah, and, gotten... for, and for those out there that are like, mm, crap, they're doing ads. Look, <laughs> we, we don't, none of the, ad, let's make this clear. None of the sponsors affect content. They don't have any editorial control. Whatever comes flying out of the mouths of Ben, me, and Karen is completely spontaneous and extemporaneous. We don't even know what we're about to say, let alone a sponsor. So nobody... Nobody, uh, we we don't shape our content based on who our sponsors are. Sometimes we don't even know who the sponsors are until moments before we get on the show. So put that aside. And it's just a way for us to support the show. And there are expenses related to the show um, uh, that without having to go to our listeners and followers and make this a paid subscription. I know some people are like, I paid for YouTube without ads. Like this is... This is how you go on any of your favorite podcasts. I, I'll give you an example. I like Smartless. I'm going to pitch one that I, we don't even have a deal with. I like Smartless. It's a very good podcast. It's got all the right people. It's super funny. Um, but their ad role in the middle of their podcast goes on for like 25 minutes. And these are three like superstar actors who are, who've made tons of money and don't need the money. It's the way to support podcasting. And that's why we do it. So... Um, you know, we, we support our sponsors because they support us. They allow us to do what we're doing without interruption and without interference. And that's why we're here. Let's move on to our last segment for today's podcast, which is uh, last but really not least. It's the special special counsel, Jack Smith. Boy, I like talking about him every week at every podcast. Jack Smith, superstar, rock star, special counsel. He's got his first wave of subpoenas under his own name signed by one of his line prosecutors, but with the start of Jack Smith, which I always like to see, special counsel, and they are targeted. Now, let me just explain how we know about this. The Department of Justice does not reveal their subpoenas. They don't disclose them. It's not a press conference about them. You can't go on the website 
for the Department of Justice or for Jack Smith and see a detail of what this uh, search uh, subpoenas are. I might have said search word. What the subpoenas are, what they're asking for from a record standpoint, and the people that are involved or the targets that are listed within the subpoenas. We only know this because the, the people that get served or the entities that get served with the subpoenas go to the press. And they say, yep, we got one. And they may even show it to members of the media. Here's the list. Here's the schedule in it of all the people that they're interested in. And then reporting comes out about it. But it's, again, the Department of Justice isn't leaking about their um, investigation, or should they. But we're getting the reporting because the people that get are served with these subpoenas come out to the press. So what do we know from reporting? We know that Jack Smith is very interested in at least 19 people that are listed on these search uh, these subpoenas that have gone to local election officials around the country from Wisconsin to Arizona and at least Michigan asking for elected officials and election officials interaction with a list of 19 people, including Donald Trump, who made phone calls to certain of these election officials, not just in Georgia, which is the which is the subject of Fonnie Willis's investigation, but also in Arizona, at least with a phone call to a top election official. So it's been alleged uh, also listed on this uh, list of people that are the targets of this investigation, or at least listed as people of interest is Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani. Boris Epstein, who we talked about at length at the top of this podcast, who is the inside consigliere and lawyer for Donald Trump and all things nefarious there. And James Troupas, who is a lawyer sitting, I believe, in Arizona, who was involved with either the fake elector scandal uh, or other attempts to stop the certification of election results. We just saw it in Arizona where... Hobbs, who is now the newly elected governor, but is still the secretary of state in charge of elections in the state, had to threaten certain counties in Arizona with jail time if they didn't get around to certifying her win over Carrie Lake. That's what it came down to. Fortunately, Hobbs, uh, Katie Hobbs, is not just uh, uh, Jane Doe. She's the actual secretary of state. You know, if you're going to F with somebody, don't F with the secretary of state who's just won the governorship. Um, you know, note to self, note to uh, addle-brained election officials in these states. Don't follow the teachings of John Eastman, of Rudy Giuliani, of um, Troupas. You know, follow the law. So this is the focus. Fake elector scandal, grand jury subpoenas, and failure to certify the election. What did you make of the uh, reporting about the new subpoenas being issued, really Jack Smith's first new wave and what it means for these various grand juries that he is um, that he is uh, in effect conducting as the lead prosecutor against all things Trump and Jan 6? So I think it makes sense that he or the DOJ under, you know, and, and him through the DOJ waited until now to do this because it to, to do this prior to the midterms when all of these individuals were busy um, with an actual election, I think just would not have made any sense. So it makes sense that right after the midterms and right after Jack Smith comes, they would they would issue these particular subpoenas. But what this tells me is there is no doubt that Jack Smith is working hard and the investigation is proceeding at a very fast pace and that 
he is focused on the very investigations that you just talked about. I mean, there was reporting today as well that the January 6th committee is, is going back and forth on whether to make criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. And it just makes no sense why they would why they would do that, given what we know about what's going on. I mean, they've we've we've seen you know, how quickly Jack Smith has has moved into action. It's absolutely clear that there are multiple criminal investigations into Donald Trump and all of the individuals that you just mentioned. And there's no reason to make a referral. It's a symbolic uh, move. You know, and it's it's usually done when perhaps there is the, the Department of Justice might not know about a particular crime that's happening or might not have the information or the evidence. So it just makes no sense to me why they would do it. I know they want to go on record to do it. And it, it what they should do, though, however, is they should hand over literally everything they have to Jack Smith before the Republicans take over. What, you know, the Republicans. What is go, what, what, I want to get your opinion on that. I, I did a hot take on it. A little known skirmish that you just touched on between the Jan 6 committee Hold on, I think Karen's in a noisy. Somebody's in a noisy place. I am. Uh, between, Hold on, I'll mute. But uh, what? Keep that's, going. That's right. Keep going. It's New York. Don't City. worry. Don't worry. That fire truck will end up in front of my building any minute now. The same fire truck. Um, there's a skirmish that's been going on since before the summer, even when Merrick Garland was the lead prosecutor on the case, where the Department of Justice was not getting cooperation from the Gen Six Committee, who was playing coy and playing hard to get with turning over 1,000 plus witness transcripts of testimony, many of it sworn under. Under oath and hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. We all thought sitting at home that the Jan 6 committee, of course, was whenever they were done with their little piece of evidence, they turned it over to the Department of Justice. Turns out that's not the case, which which uh, required the Department of Justice to recreate from scratch a lot of this evidence. But now they've already done it, as you said, with the going at a business sale that the Jan 6 committee is currently undergoing. Get this evidence out to the Department of Justice to help turbocharge Jack Smith's investigation, right? Exactly. I mean, you know, the net, you know, exactly right. I mean, you know, the the Department of Justice for a, a whole year, this is this is where I you you know, where I get critical for a whole year was essentially twiddling its thumbs when it came to, you know, investigating Trump and the high highest people while the Jan 6 committee was literally interviewing thousands and thousands of people and looking at thousands of records and emails and text messages and videos and putting together this painstaking uh, evidence to show that a crime was committed. Great. They've done an amazing job. And I'm sure they'll rep- their report that they're going to release will be a roadmap on how to do it. But now give it all over to Jack Smith, who is a real prosecutor and who is moving very quickly in these investigations. Hand them everything you have, because as you said, otherwise, what's going to happen when the Republicans take over? You know, they're going to investigate the investigation and they're going to, who knows what they're going to do. And, you know, Big bonfire, big bonfire yeah. of the vanities burning all of the thousands yeah. of transcripts. But, but turn um, it over. Yeah, I could go on with you, um, especially the midweek show with you. I could go on forever. Um, but but unfortunately, that's not how podcasting works. <laughs> we've got to We did it yesterday. Wrap up. We went on for an I hour know. and a half. 
<laughs> I, I, I had left for a meeting and let Ben come in. And then I thought, well, they're over now. And I went back. I was like, this is like a, this is like a mini series. This is continuing to go. But you know what? Legal AF is a mini series. It's a mini series for justice. It's a mini series for law and politics. It's not going to end. We're not going to be canceled. You're not going to lose, hopefully, one of your favorite podcasts. Um, we're going to be around for a long, long time reporting and getting better and better because of the encouragement of our listeners and followers like the Midas Mighty, like the Legal AFers. But we've reached the end of the midweek edition of Legal AF with Karen Friedman, Ignifilo, and Michael Popak covering for you what we believe in our own curating are the most consequential stories of law and politics at the midweek. And uh, we'll be back next week uh, with a couple of more sponsors and Karen Friedman, Ignifilo. And this Saturday, we will be, I'll be anchoring with uh, ben Mycellus, who is the master of the hot take, who does five and seven a day You've on legal issues. You've been doing a bunch too. You've been doing I've, some really good ones lately. I, you know, I got. I feel like I got to like pull my weight with Ben. I feel. I feel like you know. I feel you know, and he looks drained on some of them. Like, oh my god, he looks fatigued. I'm gonna have to jump in and do a few. And I'll tell you where I will recommend people on the way out of this show tonight. If you want a really full fulsome explanation, more than we were able to do on this show, of the Trump Organization conviction. Go find on YouTube. It's not hard to find. It's right on the Midas uh, Touch channel uh, under a trending take and under Legal AF, actually. Go find the video of us on YouTube with Michael Cohen and the three of us talking about the ramifications of the conviction of the Trump Organization. And if and if YouTube isn't your thing, then go on the pod, any place you can pull the Legal AF podcast Google and Spotify, pull the pod. We pull the pod there. We have a special bonus edition that's sitting there. And it look, it helps with the algorithms. It helps move us up into the top 100 of news globally, which is an amazing place for us to occupy. It's all because of you, all because of the Midas Mighty and the Legal AFers. And then finally, how else can you support the show besides listening, besides tweeting to us and having us tweet back and participating in live chat like tonight? is to go on to store.midas.com and go on and get things that relate to your uh, passion for legal AF. We have long sleeve uh, shirts with wheels of justice. We have coffee mugs. Somebody posted on Twitter recently a little champagne toast to Ben, Karen, me, and Justice uh, in response to Trump organization being convicted. And they did it with a legal AF mug. And a lot of people said, I want one. Where are they? Where'd you get them from? And you can get them from from the Midas store. They're sitting right there. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna develop with Karen in 2023 some more merchandise. I think we need to refresh our store a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, we right? need some right, more Karen? merch. We, we especially we need some. Uh, I think we need something a little more with a, a woman's influence I, merch. I agree. I agree with you. I'm glad you said that. I'm gonna push hard to try to get uh, shirts that are cut for women and not just for men. I know that's been a problem. I've heard we, your complaints have been heard. Uh, I'm taking it up with the head office. I'm, I'm trying to work on it uh, and to try to improve our fashion sense related to that, our comfort sense related to that. Thank you to our sponsors today, Bombas and Masterworks and Karen. If I don't see you before with some other breaking news, which could happen. I know, I'll right? I'll see you next week I'll, or before. I'll see, <laughs> I'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks, right, everybody. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. Mighty.